Welcome to Locked On NBA Tuesdays, everybody. I'm Wes Goldberg from the Mercury News and host of Locked On Warriors here with the host of Locked On Heat, David Ramil. And on today's show, the Hawks come back to beat the Sixers and even the series. We recap the late game between the Clippers and Jazz and then wonder who the next coach of the Trailblazers should be. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Hawks came back from 13 points down at halftime to beat the 76ers 103-100 to in a game that came down to the final seconds. Joel Embiid had 17 points and 21 rebounds, but went 0-12 for in the second half, while Trey Young finished with 25 points and 18 assists to lead the Hawks to a big win at home and even this series. David, have the Hawks turned this season around, this series around, excuse me? Yeah, I, I think it's a little premature to go either way on that, to be honest with you, because last week I remember after their first victory, it seemed like they had the Sixers figured out. And then, of course, Philadelphia responds with two just dominant victories over Atlanta. But then in game four, a night where Joel Embiid shoots 20% from the field, four of 20. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's horrific shooting. And it's clear that he's not 100% physically. And I think that's going to sway the series, right? No hot take there. But I, I think given his health concerns and whether or not he's going to be at even close to, you know, 50 to hundred percent, wherever he might be and somewhere in that realm, he needs to be more impactful. And that would be the determining factor in the series. So without Danny green for the rest of the series, Atlanta seemed to have a little bit of momentum shift their way. Now, can they keep that going, going into Philadelphia? Yes. But does it matter if Embiid's, you know, again, healthy and looking as dominant as he did in games two and three, that's the question there. So I don't know how much of tonight's victory, has to do with Atlanta bouncing back. No, no disrespect to them, but it seems like it was mostly Philadelphia's game to lose, and they just collapsed. And of course, because of Embiid's deteriorating health and inability to just look any kind of comfortable out there. I mean, just settling for three-point shots, just couldn't get anything to you know finish at the rim, and then just flopping for foul calls. He was just not the kind of impactful player that we'd seen over the first few games of the series. No, Danny Green in the game, of course, uh, out with the injury. Furkan Korkmaz uh, started for him. At shooting guard, but um, look, I, I think Embiid. You mentioned could he be? Can he be as dominant as he was through the first few games of the series? Could he be as dominant as he was in the first half of this game, David? I mean, in the first half, he looked absolutely unstoppable. Yeah. Uh, I think he was four of eight overall. He he scored basically most of his uh, thirteen points, I, I believe, in the first half, and uh, was doing it everywhere. Right, Un- unstoppable in the paint unstoppable from the perimeter, was picking his spots exactly when you want him to. I tweeted at one point in the game, I mean, even Shaq and Chuck couldn't have been upset with the way Joel Embiid was playing because he was just picking his spots so perfectly. And then the Hawks come out in that second half, and I do want to throw them some credit here because they start doubling Embiid early on. And, you know, I think the broadcast was making a lot of, hey, you know, make Joel Embiid beat you, let him get his 40 or 50, and then force the rest of Philadelphia's shooters to beat you. Well, that didn't work in the first half. That's basically what they were doing. Uh, they were basically letting Clint Capella go single coverage on Joel Embiid. Well, Joel Embiid make, made Clint Capella look like Trey Young in that first half defensively. And then in that second half, uh, uh, they they start to double Embiid. They get the ball out of his hands. They play, basically put a wall with their big lineup. They go with a lineup with Clint Capella, John Collins, and Dylan Gallinari that I thought was very smart by Nate McMillan. 
and all of a sudden Philadelphia's offense gets mucked up. The game gets a little ugly. You mentioned the flopping. They were, there was like several travel calls that they didn't get called. A bunch of like both teams were missing a bunch of shots at the rim. This was still anybody's game, despite Joel Embiid being so bad in that second half. Yep. But I think you got to give Atlanta some credit in in what their adjustment was against Embiid. That, that's fair. Look, I mean, I don't want to take everything away from them. They were able to really muster some energy there. After a first half where it looked like they were going to get blown out, and yet again, and then you know, in the third quarter, Philadelphia comes back sharply in at the end of that, you know, to start off the third quarter, and then Atlanta just all of a sudden clicks into place. Like everything seems to figure out. Mm-hmm. They figured it out. John Collins starts looking more active. Trey Young is able to get a couple baskets going his way. You know, Bogdanovich looks uh, as impressive as he has been to finish with twenty-two points in the night. So impressive game from them. But I, I just, I still feel like this is Philadelphia series to win if they can somehow get Embiid to not shoot 20%. I mean, just think about that. If he shoots anywhere, if yeah. he shoots 30% of the night, they still win. So uh, it, it's, and that's obviously subpar for him. So I look, it was good. No, for- he goes, he goes zero for 12 in the second half. I mean, if he makes that layup at the end, if he's one for 12 in the second half, that's probably enough for Philadelphia to win this game. Yeah, good point. And look, they, they just, they're not getting consistent scoring from everybody else. Tobias Harris was solid, 8-15, but it's Tobias. Seth Curry had a big game, 7-11, of 11, but not a lot of depth there. And, you know, Danny Green wasn't exactly contributing much offensively, but uh, he's still a factor out there. You still have to respect the three-point shooting. Yeah, they weren't getting anything off the bench, and that's the thing when you don't have Danny Green, right? Is you don't look, you don't have Corkmaz coming off the bench. I mean, he had t- 10 points on 2-for-5 from three-point range. The yeah. floor spacing element was there. Uh, hit a big three-pointer late, Korkmaz did. I actually thought at the end there, I was a little, you know, they were down three with, with the final possession, and yeah. Shake Milton, they take Ben Simmons out of the game uh, for that last offensive possession, which makes a lot of sense because Ben Simmons can't shoot. And you you put Shake Milton in there in his place, and John Collins is playing way off of him, backpedaling. You know, they're, go, they're getting out. For some reason, John Collins is the guy closest to Shake Milton. That's... Shake Milton's like the ultimate irrational confidence guy, isn't he? Like, he takes that shot. That's kind of the whole point of Shake Milton. And Collins is playing like seven feet off of him. And I I guess, I don't know if Doc Rivers said, hey, get the ball to Seth Curry because he's obviously the best three-point shooter and we want to try to tie this game up. But he had a wide-open shot, Shake Milton did. And, you know, he didn't take a ton of threes in this game. I don't know if he was out of rhythm. He was one for two in the game. But take that shot. I thought he had it. Instead, he gives it to to Seth Curry – and by the time he gets it to him, you know, you've got like three Hawks defenders draped all over him. And I didn't think that shot really ever had a chance. Yeah, look, I mean, two of seven overall for Milton, and you need certainly a stronger showing than that. It's it's It was a fun game, and it's been an interesting series overall. Look, I mean, for yeah. it to be tied 2-2, considering how lopsided games two and three were, it, Atlanta should feel good about themselves. So I, I feel like momentum could shift to either way i mean that's something you know kind of vague there and i hate to say that for the sake of our listeners but the reality is philadelphia could get things going if Embiid is healthy and dominant just as he has been and they'll they'll have another opportunity to show that back in philadelphia but for atlanta they were able to at least hold their own i mean to keep up with the sixers after those first you know after those two blowouts that's a strong showing from them. And and you saw Young struggling early in the game, and then he kind of bounces back. And three of 11 from three-point yeah. range, that's subpar shooting for him, but still had that confidence going. And I have to shout out his dynamic passing, 18 assists in the night. What a playmaker there. Incredible. And uh, didn't did not get threatened by Philadelphia's size either, right? Like, just kept going to the basket. He missed probably three or four bunny layups in that fourth quarter, but he didn't phase him, right? And that's the thing with Trey Young is, you know, for some players, that's oh, a negative. God, that but was for brutal. him... 
He needs to, yeah, I mean, look, if he makes half of those missed layups, it's not, you know, the Hawks probably aren't faced with a final possession where they could lose the game. But, um, you know, I'm glad you shout out Trey Young there. I just, it feels like Atlanta, talking about the series as a whole now, with with Embiid kind of slowed and, and maybe dealing with some health concerns here, and Ben Simmons just struggling at the free throw line and not being a factor offensively, like the Hawks have what? Four of the best five players in this series? Three of the best five players in this series? Something like that? Like the way that they're playing right now, I'm not talking about generally speaking what we project these players to be normally, but in this series, the way that Ben Simmons just hasn't been good I don't care, you know, people can come at us for, oh, he's so versatile defensively. At some point, you got to score points. And right now, the Hawks just have a bunch of dudes who can score points. Yeah. And they seem so, to be enjoying yeah. everything about it, too. It's just, yeah. for them, when they're out there and they're they're playing their best, like even guys like Clint Capella, you know, John Collins, Trey Young, everybody, Bogdanovich, they just seem to have this kind of level of enjoyment for the game. And mm-hmm. I think... The Atlanta Hawks collectively, much like they were a few years ago when they were named All-Stars, those are my players of the week, my Michelob Ultra mm-hmm. players of the week. I look at that Hawks team, and this is a team that's young, that's excited, to happy to be there. Obviously, they got a big series win over the New York Knicks that were heavily favored, and then they, they're able to hold their own against the Sixers. That's a team that's figured it out. They understand exactly what they need to do, and they're just they're able to do so with a, just a level of joy and happiness that you don't often see from young teams at this stage in their careers. But for them to be able to get there, it's kind of like drinking a, a Michelob Ultra, something that's so enjoyable to do during the game because it's only 2.6 carbs, only 95 calories. And to me, watching the Hawks being so happy out there, it creates a level of success, a level of joy. And look, enjoyment might not be the end game. It's the whole game, and I think Atlanta certainly embodies that. Today on the road to the finals, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it, and at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Let's go now to the Clippers. Dominating win over the Jazz. This game was over early with the Clippers going up 30-13 to after one, led by Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Marcus Morris. They would lead by as many as 29 points, and they maintained a healthy lead throughout the game, even when the Jazz went on a few runs. Donovan Mitchell finished with 37 points, but he didn't get much help as LA's small ball defense suffocated this regular season's number four ranked offense, which shot just 43% in the game. With Nick Batum starting again for Ivaka Zubac, they swarmed Donovan Mitchell, they stifled Utah's ball movement. Kawhi finished with 31 points, Paul George had 31 points and nine assists, and Marcus Morris added 24 points on five of six from three-point range. And now the Clippers, who started this series down 0-2 after two losses in Utah, have evened this series after winning the last two games in L.A. So, David, I'll ask you what I asked you in the first segment when our first series of the night was tied. Have the Clippers taken control of this series? You know, you're putting me on the spot here. I I, I can't answer these questions. <laughs> I honestly don't have any What do we pay answer. you for? I, I don't know. I honestly, I, I don't know that there's a clear answer. I feel like I'm being purposely vague here, but I look at what happened in that game and it kind of boils down to me as to just Jordan Clarkson having a horrific game, just eight points, three mm. of 12 from the field. Some of those points came late in the game. And that was almost a turning point for me watching the third quarter when Utah starts kind of figuring out the pace of the game after handling the original impact from that first blow by the Clippers. And then they kind of figure it out. They start getting into a groove a little bit. Joe Ingles is really clicking. He's at least making the offense hum and kind of giving them a purpose, a sense of 
the intent, I think, is what was missing from them in the first half, and they start slowly building that. And Joe was at the spe- uh, the, the the forefront of that. They take mm-hmm. him out of the game. They put Clarkson in, and everything kind of just falls apart. You know, the Clippers build their lead back up to twenty something points, and from that point on, the the Jazz are just playing catch up. And so I think the game was winnable for Utah, despite that early blowout feel to it. And they, they could have come back. They could have closed the gap a little bit more. And who knows what happens in the fourth, if maybe one or two players catches just a little bit of fire and they start knocking down a couple of shots. So I can't say that momentum has completely shifted in the Clippers favor. Of course, they'll go back to Utah. Now If Mike Conley jr. Is going to be healthy at any point that shifts the series back for Utah. Clarkson, as we've seen throughout his career bounces back and has even a decent game, it should be something that's winnable for the Jazz. So I, I don't think momentum has completely shifted. The Clippers do look pretty good. I mean, Leonard and, and Paul George look absolutely phenomenal. Uh, George's shooting was timely. As much as we've made fun of playoff P over the last couple of weeks and months and certainly a couple of seasons, he looked every bit the the playoff hopeful that a lot of people expected him to be. So I think it's it's a good sign for the Clippers, but I don't think it's quite dooming of the jazz either like i just don't feel any sense of dread and i don't see that jazz are completely out of the woods at this point or, or you know incapable of, of taking a lead back in the series yeah it's a good point you make about it felt like donovan mitchell was just waiting for somebody else to step up like yeah, the jazz is begging for somebody because like you've got one of Kawhi or paul george seemingly every time donovan mitchell crosses half court in front of him and right. then they would double in with patrick beverly or some other backcourt player and look, Donovan Mitchell, as good as he's been in these playoffs, and he's been absolutely phenomenal. He's phenomenal again, 37 points. It took 9 of 26 shots, but he had to take all 26 of those shots. Yeah. Uh, 6 for 15 from three-point range is relatively efficient. Uh, but he had five assists to five turnovers. And that's the number I'm looking at because they would swarm him when he would pass half court. As good as he's been, he's still undersized when it's a guy like Kawhi or Paul George in front of him. And he had a hard time getting the ball over or around any of those guys with their height and their long arms and the wingspan and all those things. And I wonder if there was something that Quinn Snyder could have done, maybe bringing Rudy Gobert up for higher screens, maybe actually pairing Donovan Mitchell with Joe Ingles or Bogdanovich in some more two-man game, pick-and-pop type things, uh, just bringing a, a, a teammate a little bit closer to him so that he could just find him as an outlet because it just felt like they were they were trying that spread pick-and-roll thing time after time and again, and, and Donovan Mitchell just couldn't, Close the gap with his passes, right? right? They just kept getting picked off, and and or he wasn't able to get them off in the first place, and it just completely sort of derailed Utah's offense. So I think there's some adjustments that can be made, and on the obvious one is what you said: just have a guy step up and be there, be that second option, because Joe Ingles, 19 points on seven of nine shooting, got efficient there in the second half, uh, but he didn't really get much from anybody else. Uh, uh, Jordan Clarkson probably most obviously not yeah. getting him. And I guess Mike Conley coming back would be helpful as a playmaker, getting Donovan Mitchell off the ball a little bit more. I mean, obviously right. that would be helpful. Yeah, no, I think that's a big part of it too. And Bogdanovich too. I mean, he had a, a fairly decent game. He was able to make a couple of shots there, but he looked like he was a little, he shrank in the moment at times, especially in that first half. And that was, uh, that I just 
didn't seem like they could get any kind of rhythm with him faltering late. And and look, the Clarkson minutes there. I, I understand what Snyder's trying to do. You got to get to your guy. You got to try and get him going because you know he can get hot. He can get in a streak where he can hit three or four shots in a row, but he just didn't have it at all. And credit to the Clippers defense. They did a phenomenal job of harassing everybody on that team, just making them very uncomfortable. Gobert even, you know, only yeah. four field goal attempts throughout the game. You expect him to have a little bit more of an edge. And while you're not expecting him to have a 20-plus point game, something a little bit more effective than just four or four from the field. Well, he can't get basically tied for rebounding with Nick Batum. Batum had seven rebounds. Gobert had eight. They both played 32 minutes. Uh, if if the Clippers are going to go small, it felt to me like they should be pounding in, in the paint with Rudy Gobert. And, you know, he goes four for four from, you know, shot 100% from the field, but only took four shots, only got eight rebounds. Uh, only two offensive rebounds, despite the poor shooting in the first half. Only 11 points. That's that's got to be better. And and look, you want to give credit to the Clippers' defense because they be, like with all that stuff that I was talking about about picking up Donovan Mitchell at, at the half court and everything. It basically prevented them from getting the ball into the paint, right? And credit Clippers' defense. I mean, they were on a string tonight. Nick Batum, Marcus Morris specifically were just everywhere, covering so much ground in the paint in the area and all that and all that stuff. And Kawhi and Paul George's one-on-one defense was obviously uh, spectacular as always. Uh, and it feels like the Clippers have at least found out that part of it on defense, right? Like whatever happened in those two games in Utah where they go down 0-2, defensively they have turned the tide here where now they have the advantage. Now this size that Utah has isn't an advantage and the Clippers are getting out, they're running, and they're covering a lot of ground with the small ball lineup, and now it's time for Utah to try to counter that and find ways to take advantage of their size again, and I guess that's what this series is going to come down to because, you know, Ivaka Zubac was still relatively inefficient. You know, everybody on the Clippers was basically a positive plus minus except for Zubac, who was just a zero. He wasn't a plus, he wasn't a minus. Like, I think the Jazz can conceivably still win those minutes when the Clippers have a center on the floor. They just got to figure out a way to get more of those minutes out of the Clippers or to to combat the, the Clippers' lack of size when they don't have a center on the floor. What, what do you think You know, is the biggest adjustment that Utah can make in Game 5? I, I think it is just getting another playmaker out there, getting more of Jordan Clarkson, getting Mike Conley healthy potentially, getting Joe Ingles more involved in a playmaking role, uh, three assists, zero turnovers tonight, and he was efficient. He was one of the few efficient guys for the Jazz uh, on Monday night. And so I think, like I said, don't maybe maybe it's not spacing things out so much. Maybe it's you know, calling up a, a secondary playmaker, secondary ball handler to Donovan Mitchell when he crosses half court, just getting into your actions a little bit faster, uh, a little bit more of like a shotgun offense. And and I don't think that they did very much of that tonight. And I think Quinn Snyder will see that on the film. Like they just need to get into their offense quicker and get out and run and, and sort of force the issue into the paint and get as close to the rim as possible as fast as possible. So, um, all right. Coming up, what the Blazers should be looking for in their next head coach, and we look at tonight's Game 5 between the Nets and Bucks. But first, David, tell the listeners about Bet Online. Well, it's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. You can track all the action at Bet Online. but there's tons of sports action with the start of the new WNBA season, the NBA playoffs, of course, the NHL, and so much more. So head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, the sign-up bonuses and contest information, and so much more. Don't sit on the sidelines. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the finals. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. 
and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts, and don't forget to use the promo code Locked On. And when you're done with that and you make a little money on Bet Online, you can go and spend it over on rockauto.com because it's the best place to buy the parts that you're looking for for your car or truck. Why go to a storefront where they're just going to look up parts on their computer? You've got access to a computer on your phones or at home. You can go to rockauto.com, a family-owned business that's been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can choose from hundreds of manufacturers on their easy-to-use site. And you get everything you need with just a few easy clicks delivered directly and safely to your door. So go to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck then go to the section that says how did you hear about us and write the phrase locked on so they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need that's rockauto.com when you're done listening to us here go check out locked on today to get all the sports news you need in less than 20 minutes host peter bukowski has the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for NB Ad Libs, where we fill in the blanks on the league's biggest stories. According to The Athletic, the Mavericks are run by, quote, shadow GM Haralabob Vulgaris, a report that Mark Cuban called BS on his Twitter account. This report should be blank for Mavericks fans, David. Ooh, uh, nerve-wracking, I think. Mm. I, I think... Look, maybe you, you see the kind of Twitter engagement from Mark Cuban as he's attacking both the Athletic and Tim Cato and, and Sam Amick, formerly of the Locked On Network. And you kind of just see that I, I don't think that they're quite as secure in their stance as they, they it's, as Cuban makes it seem like it's completely BS and all that. And I just it, we've been seeing kind of hints of this team falling apart recently there's a report that uh, rick carlisle is looking a potential job offer from milwaukee and maybe that's overblown but i think there's real tension there and maybe it doesn't matter because luka Doncic is going to take that extension anyway as they point out in the piece he's going to be making you know a 200 million dollars with that max extension but at the same time you want some kind of consistency you want your superstar your generational type player in Doncic to buy in completely to what that franchise holds what they represent and that's top to bottom whether or not he agrees yeah. with the coach the front office and everything else and it seems like there's obvious friction there and if that's the case that's not very encouraging for mass fans yeah it should be bookmarked david i mean if if luka <laughs> signs this extension great but 4 or 5 years down the road if if luka's or Maybe even sooner than that, Luca, sure. Luca's looking to get to another team. Mavericks fans can go and find this report and maybe say, hey, maybe this was the start of whatever friction that there was in the Mavericks front office that led to Luca wanting out in the first place. Damian Lillard's next coach in Portland should be blank. Whoever he wants. You got to keep Damian Lillard. We're just talking about Luca potentially wanting out four or five years from now. Damian Lillard could want out four or five days from now. Right. Uh, he already came out and said he wanted Jason Kidd, and the Blazers came out and said, well, we're not going to do that. So pick a different one. I don't know what the the intent behind that was, but look, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, Mike D'Antoni could be an option He's and is interviewing for Portland's uh, head coaching job. This week, you've got Clippers assistant Chauncey Billups. You've got the Spurs' uh, Becky Hammond. All are set to interview with Portland this week. What? Okay, just do the interviews. But then who cares about how the interviews go? Then just say, hey, Damian Lillard, out of those three candidates or whoever we haven't talked to yet, who do you want to be your head coach next year? And that is exactly who you should hire if you're Portland because I don't care who the coach is. You're not going to be any good if Damian Lillard's not on your team next year. Yeah. 
good point. Uh, you know, David Lillard's next coach should probably be somebody other than anybody in Portland. The reality is because he, the head coach is not going to fix a busted roster. And I think that's the bigger problem here. I think that's what we're overlooking here is that the, Terry Stotts didn't do a bad job. Look, maybe there were some questionable decisions there, but every coach boils down to whether or not there's a roster that's strong enough to implement their vision and make it a reality. And that roster just has been faulty for years. They've got some phenomenal performances out of Lillard, but McCollum's been inconsistent at best. They've had you know, injury issues over the last few years. They just haven't been able mm-hmm. to turn a corner. This is a matter of making that roster and improving it. It's not on the coach. It's on the general manager. And we've seen that time and time again. I think Blazers fans are fed up with Neil Olshay, and I think they want some kind of change. And it's not just the coach. I think it's too easy to fire the coach and make him the scapegoat for the situation there. But it's uh, I don't know. I don't know who the the, the best coach for, for Portland is, but you're right. It's whoever Dame Lillard wants. It can't be kid at this point. So at least move on to somebody else he approves of. Kyrie Irving missing game five with an ankle sprain means blank for the Nets, David. Oh, disastrous. It's a disaster, I think, for the Nets. I think uh, this is potentially a lost season for them. They're not going to get Harden back and now Irving out of the game. And it seems like. Brooklyn has just collapsed. And I mean, that's reasonable considering the fact that you're missing two of your best scores, you know, two all-time great scores mm-hmm. uh, that just happen to be on the same roster. And I don't know that they're going to be able to figure it out. Look, they've got a, a decent team aside from Kevin Durant and they still have KD, but Milwaukee seems like they've figured out their identity a little bit more after two games in Milwaukee. They're back to being the team that was so dominant against Miami. So I'm not sure that Brooklyn has a response for this version of Milwaukee, especially when they don't have two of their best scorers out on the lineup. Yeah, it's trouble for Brooklyn, right? I mean, unless Kevin Durant is able to take over in a singular way that we have yet to see him take over, basically since coming back from from the Achilles tear. And it's not to say that he hasn't been awesome, but there was an opportunity there in, in game four for him to take over. And I thought he looked a little passive. And I know he put up good numbers, and he has been putting up great numbers the entire postseason. But there's a difference between him playing off of Kyrie Irving and James Harden to him just being the sole uh, sort of practitioner of this offense and getting guys like Joe Harris and Blake Griffin and Bruce Brown involved. Uh, That has been Kyrie's job. That has been James Harden's job when he's healthy. Kevin Durant's got to do more of that right now. I think it's very apt that this betting stuff that has been uh, made a lot of about you know, Brooklyn being uh, underdogs now in this series against Milwaukee, but still being the favorites to win the championship. To me, a lot of people are saying, well, how does that make sense? Well, it makes sense that if they get out of this series, presumably they get healthy. And if they're healthy, they ought to be the favorites to win the championship. I think they walk into a championship this year, David, if they get healthy, but they're not healthy right now. And that opens the door for Milwaukee. Speaking of not being healthy, LeBron James is changing his number from 23 to Slinks. That is blank for the Lakers. I think it's huge for the Lakers. Look, this is the the best LeBron we've ever seen was wearing number six, right? And we know that the Lakers need a ton of offseason changes because of their first round exit and the playoffs and things. I think this is all they need to do. If you get LeBron number six, who is an obvious upgrade over LeBron number 23 then you've made all the offseason changes you need to make, David. I think I, that's that's just my opinion, though. It's a it's a travesty is what it is. Wes, uh, the, you know, the, the LeBron in six that we saw in Miami is incomparable, and that's not the version that we're going to get next year with the Lakers either, and he shouldn't try to replicate it. Plus, there's probably something else. And look, we all know it's going to be tying back to his Looney Tunes movie and everything else that he gets going on from here on out. I think he's basically checked out from this point forward, but we'll see what happens. 
you're just gonna call it the Looney Tunes movie. You're not even gonna call it by name. It's Space Jam Two. You're not even gonna, you're just the Looney Tunes, the Bugs Bunny movie. I like it. That's fine. Um, LeBron wearing number six though, I think is really cool. I like. I think that is the coolest number LeBron has worn. Like I actually just aesthetically, I like the six more than the twenty three. I just I think the twenty three. Obviously, we know we we think of one player when we think of twenty three. We don't really think of LeBron. I think the six is just, it's just kind of cool. I just, I, I, I like the way it looks. That'll do it for us today. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked on NBA wherever you listen to podcasts for 30 minutes of the NBA's top stories every day. We'll be back here next Tuesday. In the meantime, you can find me at Locked on Warriors. David, you can find over at Locked on Heat. Enjoy your day, and thanks for listening.